So uh, we finished the last show and we were talking about how apologetic we were because we took a long break and we were going to try and be more regular about it again and then promptly took another about month off. Um, but for good reason this time, not that there weren't previous times, but Ballot's been all over the world traveling. Where have you been? Um, I went to Amsterdam. I went to that other country, Joburg, a lot. <laughs> Um, that was enjoyable. I can't imagine you fitting well in Joburg now that I think about it. Well, I stayed there for so long. I mean, one of the worst thing, or one of the things I think that is character building that every South African should try is to do the Pretoria-Joburg commute for maybe a year. So, a year? So Fuck like, it, I, I've done it once it and it was enough. Like, it I feel like it's something you tick off the list. You don't need to do it over and over again. <laughs> Sadist. Well. I think I think that kind of uh, that was sort of uh, uh, that was character building for me. So I think I'm a stronger human for that. And then you're off to Barcelona now and Buenos Aires and whatever. So we we're considering actually just turning O42T into like a travelling show, but like a circus really. <laughs> we just rock up in your city and you can come and see us talk rubbish. I think for an hour, <laughs> Richard. But that's not the only reason uh, why we haven't been on. I think you've been panicking and trying to get your business launched. Oh right? God, so yeah. So, so you've suddenly started working. I believe. <laughs> so this year's been a little rough, but we're getting there. Um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to talk. I suppose this will go out about the same sort of time as launch. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'll put a little link in the show notes, but essentially you'll be launching apps for iPhone and for web in the next kind of two weeks or so. And then for this project called Recast, an idea is it lets you tune into the playlists of radio stations pretty simply. And then on the business side, we collect a whole bunch of analytics and we go back to radio stations and we help them better their playlists because we measure whether people like the music on their playlists or not. So I've been doing a lot of work kind of behind the scenes to get ready for that. It turns out developing for iPhone is a fucking nightmare, <laughs> not because of the actual development development but because in just in terms of like fucking itunes connect if you'd like me to just rant for about half an hour now about what a shit system itunes connect is i thought that when they bought test flights then everything was going to be sorted no, definitely not do you know how hard it is just to get your beta to somebody these days <laughs> cheapest anyway and that's after taking two months to get my certified registration account. Your Dan's number is now basically your cousin's uh, home that was the only place listed with the Oakley in it or something like that. Absolutely mad. It just made me so angry. But I'm, I'm calm. I'm trying not to get upset here again. So I've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff and then um, a lot of biz dev. I hate biz dev. I really hate doing lunch meetings and Skype calls and things like that. So it's kind of the worst part of the job for me. But Kind of I important to do are right now. Hanging out these days. Yeah. I think that's the latest craze. Is that what it's called? Like hangouts. Oh, I thought it was called like coffee meetings or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about those. It's not my world. I think we need to speak to somebody that signs NDAs and things, and that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not allowed to sign. So yeah, it's, it's been a bit hectic, but um, hopefully by the time this episode goes out, you'll see why. We'll include some stuff in the show notes, and if not, then I'll speak about this on the next show. What I'm was our previous explain. show? Uh, pass. Peter's a service. Oh yeah, Pete Peter's a, a service. Yeah, Pete, Pete coming in as an oracle on Skype. I, I, I love that format. I think we should uh, we should consider doing it more. Yeah, so we're kind of playing with the format a bit, but um, every now and again we're going to go back to having a guest when when we feel like it's it's worthwhile when we feel like we found a good guest. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things we uncovered in our previous episode was that uh, Pete is pretty much the he's a bit of a Benedict Evans of South Africa. I think we said. And uh, what's uh, worrying me is that he actually does a day job as well, uh, instead of just writing and, and uh, sort of publishing his uh, news. For, Which he should do more of, really. For money. 
Yeah, everyone's saying it. Um, so from somebody that has got very valuable opinions to somebody that doesn't, uh, I think it's a good segue into welcoming our guest. Uh, welcome to the show, Alan Kent. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so Alan has just fought off hordes of screaming uh, teenagers, girls, and things like that to get to the studio, because when we were recording this, it's April 1st, um, and the joke's on him because it's One Direction today. <laughs> and if I can think of somebody that would least like to walk through a crowd of One Direction fans, it's Alan Kent. I came the back route, so I managed to avoid all of it. I, I, I get a dollar of promotion money every time someone says, I came the back route. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually wearing that on your shirt. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so so Alan is in the unique position of having been my former boss. So this is my, my one opportunity to uh, assert, some, assert some authority <laughs> over him and be in charge in the room for a change, which is probably a good way in, to get into where you started. You started in IT like myself, right? Mm. You wired people's homes or something like yeah, that. I had a, well, I started in uh, UCT doing computer support, which was... Uh, Okay, I mean, I mean, you, you don't want to be doing computer like phone support your entire life. So give us a call. Give us an example of a call. No, no, no. Piss off. I've tried to, what I sort was, of calls? Hang on. Actually, firstly, what year is this? Well, what area of years, right? <laughs> so I was at UCT. Because this is a different world. Yeah, no. This is this was pre-internet. Like, so this was like internet access was FTP gopher on a VAX, kind of like logged in on a terminal, and that was, you know, like net news was... Ballots you know, like, nodding because they still have this in Durbanville, actually. <laughs> no, That's it still epic. how they do the internet. No, I tell you, it was epic. So that was, that was when I was studying there. That was kind of... I started, probably started working there in like mid-90s, BSP. doing like computer support stuff and okay. like telephone support, Telnet. which is horrible. Exactly. <laughs> Telnet, like, yeah, beautiful. Um, so, so these, I mean, are, these I, are the days of, of early dial-up, right? We're talking about yeah, 33.6 yeah, sort mean, of thing, right? Bored. If you know the word bored, you're, you're like, this is your yeah. territory. You're loving this episode. Nine six hundred, you know, dial-up. And then like, yeah. US Robotics brought out that 33.6 ah, yes, modem. that's right. No, it was 28.8, iAfrica. When iAfrica launched, they brought out like a US Robotics 28.8 modem. And, and then you were the shit. Six, and then you were like, yeah. And good, shit, our internet's fast. <laughs> good old Africa's still dreaming of those days. <laughs> when actually, when Excellent. I managed to put Alan in his first awkward position of the show. <laughs> I'm just going to... So moving on with the question. So, yeah, we, uh, there was a company in Joburg that did, like, IT stuff. And then uh, myself and a mate from Varsity and another guy that we happen to know started, a, like, a local, like, a Cape Town version of it. And it was, like, IT installation support pulling cables, like all that sort of so stuff. So is this mostly networking stuff? No, it was everything. Hey? So it was networking, computer installation, building PCs, support, all the rest of it. But the, the weird thing was it was like the, the Joburg crowd, for them it was amazing because like in Joburg they would get a fax that said like we need 100 PCs and then that was, that was the interaction. Yeah. But in Cape Town you're going to have coffee and then you've got to like have like 15 meetings, you know, like it's those amazing sort of hangouts. <laughs> So it was like a completely different model and it really sucked and it was, yeah, it wasn't cool work. So myself and Gavin, who was like, he was like a designer type and then I was doing the, like some sort of coding stuff on the side. And then one of our clients asked us if we could, she wanted a website and we were like, yeah, we can make a website because he'd done his uh, Quake Clans website and he like designed <laughs> it like back in the day. So he figured, hey. I can do a website for a Quake clan. I can do a website for a client. So you, you were already programming at this stage quite heavily, though. Uh, I used to program at UCT when I was there. So okay. I was, like I used to do programming work as part of my job. So um, I picked up some PHP, JavaScript, whatever. I tried to do some. Well, JavaScript was 
yeah, late 90s, early yeah. 2000s. So we went, to, we made this website, and then we invoiced her for this website, which was like five grand or something at the time. It was like, you know, nothing, whatever. And we had this revelation when we got the invoice back and we realized, hold on, all this money is coming to us. Yeah. We don't have to go pay a supplier for like crappy like motherboards and, you know. And you don't even have to worry about things like motherboards breaking. Yeah. Exactly. So we were like, okay, pivot. And we... <laughs> we <laughs> one does. Yeah. That was the first use of the word, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Flogged the company we had. We like kind of like flogged it off to the, the people that were working for us. Sorry to them. Apologies for that. And then him and I started a, like a web development company. Um, and then we were doing like... We were teaching in the evenings at a place called Netscope, I think, in Durbanville. Like he was doing like flash and design uh, lecturing and I was doing... <laughs> Visual Basic, and uh, some Oaks came on the on the on the course, and they were and they started up. presents. <laughs> um, yes. Second one of the day. <laughs> so, so they were starting a digital division for Saatchi and Saatchi, and they came on the course, and they wanted to learn what was actually involved with starting a digital division, and then. Like they were like, okay, well, you didn't really want to do this, so you guys must come work for us. And then we just, that was it. And then we were in the agency. Did they life. offer you money? We, well, they offered us money in that we moved into their building, rented office space, and did all of the digital work for them. Oh, okay, so cool. we were so like, it was a fucking sweet deal. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, we it was got like a, basically a whole chunk of leads on day one, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And then obviously, like after a couple of years, they started realizing that they were paying out like a whole bunch of invoices when they could be paying salaries. So yeah. then they like then we got kind of amalgamated into it and then just became. So this is early two thousands, right? Yeah, it was about two thousand and five, two thousand and six when we went into Saatchi. Okay, and and what sort of websites are you doing at the time? Then what are your clients? What do they look like back then? Yeah, <laughs> we did. Uh, we built. I mean, this is pre pre like WordPress and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, no. I mean, we were building dev, like yeah. it was all like static Everyone HTML. Everyone was building a CMS then, right? Yeah, there was a craze. We like, built a, Well, we built a CMS in. Like early 2000s, there was like a multi-site CMS, let you build, like fire up new sites, and then like it was all template-driven, built it in PHP. We actually built it for Billy Graham, of all people. So we went over the, the to... The pastor. The pastor, yeah. So for we anybody that knows Alan Kent, <laughs> um, that will come as a shock. I think. Let's, let's it, swiftly move along. I take it you didn't have a pre-business meeting with Billy We Graham. knew somebody who worked there, and he'd worked with us before, so we just pitched on the work, and we were obviously much cheaper than the Americans who were in their dot-com bubble. Yeah. So, this the, was this Billy Graham's uh, emerging markets arm? Basically. Well, it was, for their, it was for the American market, so we flew over there and wow, did a whole lot epic. of, like, kind of, uh, you know... BizDev. Biz dev, yeah. <laughs> Stakeholder interviews is, I think, what you call it now. Yeah. So we did a whole lot of that, kind of swanned around in Asheville, which is where their training center is, and then built out, I think, about eight or nine sites off the back of this platform. And then it was actually quite a fun project up until we were about to deploy, because we went through the whole process of specking it out, and we were like, cool, we need these, this many Linux servers, we're going to be running PHP, MySQL, da da da, whole trip. All signed off, everything, testing. We got to the point where we were ready to deploy. And they were like, oh, guys, um, no, it's, <laughs> our, server, our server environments.net or ASP, you know, can, uh, can we just run this here? Oh. I was like, no, no, you can't. Oh, uh. So then we went back to the, here's where we told you how it's going to work. And then eventually, so they rewrote them all with some crowd in America who are ASP developers. And I don't think they ever got it finished, which was 
Fantastic. So that's that's your first god awful client experience. I no, they were actually really cool clients. To be honest, okay. yeah, they were really cool. Um, it was just the like the final deployment when the kind of the IT they got clearly involved hadn't really like, realised. No, like, like nobody had escalated the documentation up into the like, whatever. Yeah. So then you know, you, it goes. So then you managed to retain the IP for that though, and just carry on building sites off the back end. No, no, not not really actually. Because a lot of the stuff we were doing, because we were in Saatchi, it was like campaign-based stuff. Okay. So we did a lot of like mobile. This was a kind of 2006. A lot of mobile was coming out. So yeah. we were building like uh, gateways for MMS and stuff like that. So right. okay. WASP integration. WASP integration. So we were doing, we, we built a whole, a whole bunch of sites that allowed people to submit user-generated content. This was, I think, 2005, 2006. And they MMSed into an MMS gateway. Oh wow! And then we got that got posted to us in an endpoint, and then we just ingested it. This it isn't indifferent to the kind of stuff that Ballot was busy developing yeah, at that yeah, time, I mean, right? My, myself and Pete were balls deep into this space. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that you guys literally on this sort of parallel path. Yeah, yeah. You didn't work at any point for the same yeah, people was, or anything, I was right? just dishing out airtime for people who refresh the page and, and spun some <laughs> virtual lottery, you know? So, hey, cool, your numbers match. So here's 10, 10 rands worth of airtime. Oh, and we have this uh, custom ad platform that show you a, a little banner ad if you want to. And the glory days, as they're called. The glory days, yeah. yeah. Magic. Where was this? We were dealing with Grapevine at the time. Oh, yeah, famous, yeah. Fa- famously a... a, a uh, it was a bit of an incestuous uh, setup uh, in those days. It was like it st- the WASP environment started off at Vodacom and then eventually some people got angry and, and resigned and started off uh, Grapevine and, and a few other WASPs. And, and it was basically a crowd of people who all started at Vodacom internally and then just spun off their own little businesses off of it. And it was the heydays. I mean, I think a lot of people got rich and bought nice cars off of a, mm. a nice chaotic market situation. So then, so you're doing mostly kind of WASP stuff and whatever. And, and how big is Saatchi at this? Well, at Play, the digital division was like, we got to about 10 at its largest. Okay. Which was, which is a nice size because you're still, you're still kind of in that entrepreneurial kind of mindset where yeah. everybody gets stuck in with everything else. Get a bit bigger than that, which is... There was like a lot of pressure, obviously, to get bigger, which I wasn't keen on because then you mm. get like specialists. So like I'm the HTML, CSS person, and I'm the designer, and Silos, I'm the yeah. exactly. Famous. And then you like, and like when we started it out, we were we were literally at the end of the corridor in the basement. Yeah, and that's you kind of like from there you kind of work your way. You know, you're just building stuff and pushing it out there and getting stuff done. Which is cool. And that's how you kind of want to carry on working because then you get the best out of people and they get to work on stuff that they actually enjoy. Rather so, than so was AppPlay always a very separate thing? You always had sort of Saatchi as the big kind of organization at the top and then kind of AppPlay, was, was it always like a little skunkworks almost? It was a skunkworks probably for about three or four years. Okay. And then like digital became the thing and yeah. then it became like integrated. Because this is what I was like going to ask through. about is that for a, for a long time, obviously digital was just kind of this afterthought with, you know, you went and played with the extra budget almost on campaigns. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, then at some point... You, the, like, the clients started having digital people, right? And they were sitting in the room and they all had digital strategists and things like that. And I imagine that at that point, it's pretty hard to try and keep any kind of line separating the two. I, I'm actually, that's actually something that I wanted to ask Alan is, where's the difference really in, a, in the word in agency life, like digital strategist? Where's the difference between that title's everyday work and a traditional product manager in a, in a, in a company that's working on a single product? 
Well, I think that, I mean, the big difference is that as a, in an agency, you're not exposed to the depth of understanding about the product that, that you have. And that was, that was my big reason for shifting to Prime Media Broadcasting was that in operating at that product level to, to a certain extent in my dealings with them, um, you, you come to realize the value in being able to, to kind of evolve something. Like digital strategies, I suppose, in agency, you're looking at things like, you know, what's the brand strat, what's the comm strat, how does digital fit into this? You're not necessarily in at a product level going, how do we evolve the digital platforms that you as a client have that's in a way that's going to generate value for your business? The difference no, no. is that there's no roadmap. On, when you're digital <coughs> well, not strategist, that you're exposed to, no. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is you that see, you you're get, just kind of at a single point in time you're doing strategy, whereas I think product management is a lot more about how that changes and develops and what the long-term strategy is versus the short-term one and things like that. Yeah, so, I mean, we started getting into things like like working with clients where we'd be talking about, like, <clears throat> like not throwing away the work that we'd done. So a lot of, like, in the early days of, like, Facebook, like, everyone would have a Facebook campaign because we've got to have a Facebook campaign. Yeah. And it was almost like you'd create the campaign and then you would generate a whole lot of interest, engagement, in inverted commas, whatever. Clicks or likes Clicks or whatever. Likes. Yeah. And then the campaign's over and then those people are lost. So like the early work started was like how do we maintain that community and like carry it over to the next campaign so we're not starting from ground zero every time or base zero. Um, so, so we were talking earlier about the Billy Graham thing and about the fact that it kind of just didn't go anywhere. Is that not a – I've never worked in that kind of short-term agency world where you're just working on like a deadline and then it's done – is there well, not something kind of disheartening about the fact that at some point you go, like, give the thing that you've worked and put yourself into over to somebody else and they may or may not use it or may break it or it may be something or it may not? Like, there's just a lack of control. Maybe I'm just a bit obsessive, but no, I don't I mean, like it giving is, it over, you know? No, 100%. I mean, the Billy Graham one was, was unique in that we were building a product from scratch for yeah. them. Um, so that wasn't like campaign at all. It was CMS websites to get it yeah. out there. Sorry, I just meant the fact that it, there was no ownership there, right? There's no, you know, they either use it or don't use it, and no, you just yeah. paid on your deadline, and it's kind of over. And I think the the biggest the biggest problem that you get, or the biggest frustration, certainly from an agency perspective, with the designers, the the copywriters, is that they craft stuff because they're still you're still coming at it from a, a sort of a I want to say print mentality, but it is almost that, that, you know, the, the pages get designed and they're pixel perfect and they're yeah. like crafted to the nth degree. And then you get gets handed over to someone with a CMS and then it just all goes to hell in a handbasket yeah. because then it's suddenly like, oh, how do we plug this in here? And then, you know, so for all of it, your best intentions, you can design a CMS for a client, but once they're running with it, it's kind of out of your hands um, it does work, which, it doesn't work, it's, it's not really in your hands anymore. Yeah, and I suppose the biggest, the, <laughs> the biggest frustration there is when you come around to like award season and you go like, we've got to use this thing as a case study and you open it up and it looks like shit. <laughs> and like, That's not the thing we design. So, so you, you end up the Photoshop drafts in there. Through Photoshop draft and then obviously like, well, depending on the level of like the judges, they like log in and go, well, what you've sent us is the, in the case study is not exactly what I'm seeing on the website. So which I imagine didn't happen a great deal in South Africa. <clears throat> Next question. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I think I'm up to three now. What's it, what, but what is it with agencies and awards? Like, it's almost like that is the, the way to it's currency. Yeah. It's currency, right? Yeah, yeah. For, for an accredited, it's the currency. It's the, their portie, you know, their job, uh, like when they bring their portie and they've got like a whole bunch of awards. 
port is a portfolio for portfolio. my tech friends. Sorry. I'm pretty sure people could have worked that out. And that, it was either that or Portaloo. Porta Potty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Abbreviated. <laughs> it could only be one of those. Can I see, Often there's can a I higher overlap between the two. <laughs> can I share my Porty Brew? That's it. You've got it. Yeah, Perfect. So, Alan, you sure we, you didn't work in agency before? <laughs> Alan, can we talk about the, the award that has been destroyed? No. no. Can we not? Which one are you talking about? Lurie's? I'm talking bookmarks? about the one that... No, we're not talking about bookmarks. You're oh, you're talking about the actual Lurie? Yeah, the actual Lurie. broken Lurie. Yeah, yeah. There were Can we two talk th- about the background to this and why it's now got holes in its, and it's suspended from a ceiling somewhere? Okay, so we, we won a couple of Luries, some of that we're, like, we're really proud of, like golds and blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. You. And then this was, a, I think, a gold Lurie that we won for uh, online advertising, like a banner ad. And this was, a, it was for, the client was Rhino Wall, so they make... Um, like this, you know, this... Trilly door stuff. No, 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 this, this uh, wall that you put up. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Gypsum board, whatever, that okay. you kind of pull down. The way Americans make houses. Yes. And, um, and then wonder why tornadoes are causing Pretty issues. much, yeah. yeah. So it was um, like how strong, it, you know, like super strong, blah, yeah. blah, blah, some sort of call to action. I can imagine this is, just, this is just a creative's wet dream, right? No, this so, is so easy. So anyway, to we for. created a, a, like a banner. It was like one of those little like skyscrapers down the right. And if you dragged it, then it crushed all of the content up on the left-hand side. So the page was, the banner was draggable and it pushed all of the content, squashed it up and like showed how strong is this, we can crush your content. But I imagine that without getting too DT, actually, fuck it, we're getting DT, ads are iframed, right? No, well, this was 2004, 2005, So it is JavaScript. So it was was entirely JavaScript, like raw JavaScript that I had to write only worked in Internet Explorer and only ran on my blog for about a day so that we could do the screenshot. <laughs> and we got a gold Lurie for it. And we were like, wow, awesome. So, Epic. Yeah, so if uh, the Lurie people are listening, they might go and expunge that award right now, but I don't work there anymore, so it's fine. But um, we, we didn't really care much for it because there was no like you know we entered there, it were, for, there like, was no competition yeah, we, let's be honest well we entered it as a joke we were like uh, let's enter this and we won so we then we defaced it we drilled holes in it and drew on it and stuck earrings through it and so what's well, great do you think the the reason that you won that is because it genuinely was good and they just sort of overlooked the metrics or do you think that this is indicative of a larger issue with awards that I've ranted about before, which is that they're ultimately a bit of a crapshoot. <sighs> if you can answer that. Yeah, I can, because I mean, I, we, I've... You've judged plenty of stuff. You've been on the other side, stuff, right? I've, I've been on both sides. I've entered yeah. stuff that, like this, that we, we entered for shits and giggles and won, and we've entered stuff that we thought was really good and hasn't even got a finalist. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird that you go, like, like it, it does feel like a bit of a crapshoot, um, and a lot of the time, like what you would hope is that the the judging, the level of judging, is such that they are able to understand whether something is feasible or not. Maybe you know? like empty an app of the year or something like that. Or like, well, I mean, in this case, like the fact that it was completely written in JavaScript, it was only worked on Internet Explorer, and like you could never deliver that as an ad or for or for a standard ad server. So, like, why would that have won anything? It's clearly not something that, that could possibly So, Stephen and I are going to run an idea past you. You've been a judge. You've been on the other side of the, kind of these award ceremonies. We've got a great idea for our own kind of awards. Into the MTN, uh, <laughs> no, not, not a fucking chance. But 
we've got a great idea for running our own awards because what we think is that the main problem with awards, right, is that people just enter for shits and giggles. They just like it's just the kind of spaghetti against the wall approach, right? You just yeah. you enter everything you can. It, it used to be an awards uh, show or. I think it was part of Design in Darba many years ago called Construction Awards. Yeah. That was like for people building stuff. Yeah. And that, see, the, this the is kind the of sort stuff of thing, that got awarded there, you always felt, you looked at it and you went, cool, I can see why. So, this is exactly what we're aiming for. Is we we want to have awards where people that enter are entering because they're genuinely proud of it and they genuinely think they're going to win. So, people have tried lots of approaches to stopping people just entering stuff for, for the sake of it, right? Which is kind of what everybody does. They just go and go, fuck it, we don't know if this banner's going to win, but we'll enter it anyway. Or we built this Moby site for a magazine and that needs to go into a war. Exactly, like, for I innovation or something. I can't something. see, like, I don't give a, sh- a flying fuck what that Moby site does. It's not like it's not, not an innovation, innovation award. Exactly. It can't ever win any innovation award. So, so people have tried different approaches to stopping this, like upping the kind of entrance fee is the typical one, right? Yeah. So you just go, we'll just, uh, or like you've got to pay a thousand rand. But if you're in a corporate, then people don't care. It's just like fucker. Well, ten thousand rand goes yeah, to entering our ten awards. Be the other way around, right? Exactly. So what we're thinking is that instead of just putting a big barrier to entry, right? Make it free to enter, but in every category, there's an anti-award. And what it is, is public shaming for the worst entry. So on the evening of the awards, before you announce the winner, up comes the person that entered the innovation technology category, and they have to stand on stage while somebody reads out the entry and just goes, what the fuck were you thinking? You built a Moby site for Heisgenut's that's not tech innovation. Can we all please give a round of applause for Alan Kent? And then nice. that person has to stand there like a knob while people take photos and clap. And that way, when the next time that they come to enter an award it's ceremony... It's a golden rooster. They go, I'm not going to enter that. I don't want to be the knob on the stage. Well, I think what, all you're going to do is you're going to make less people attend the actual award ceremony because they don't no. want to be that knobber on the stage. Disagree. You I think so. I think I would go to the awards in case I got to see you <laughs> stand up on the stage and have to. Alan, I think your argument falls flat, falls flat given the amount of publicity Bieber generated with his roasting. Like, it was super. People just wanted to see it, right? No, fair enough. Okay, so, yeah, maybe, let me rephrase. You're going to get less people who entered the actual awards rocking up on the night. Yes, this will be a public event. So you're you're going to just call out the winner and, like, go, so basically you could just publish a list of winners on the website because there's going to be no one to come up and, like, get the the award and, like, take their picture. There'll be genuine awards as well, right? So so you've got an, say, as Prime Media, you've entered 10 categories, right, because you thought this was a clever thing to do. Just enter all the categories that you can. This well, happens. that seems fair. This yeah. happens, right? <laughs> so you're still going to have to go to the award ceremony because you might win for best mobile publisher. But if you also entered your banner ad in tech innovation while you're there, <laughs> there's a chance that I call you up on stage and go, you're a knob. And you I don't deserve this. You might very genuinely deserve a reward in another category, mm. but this one you shouldn't have entered. And that way, when people come to enter the awards, they'll give a second thought to enter tech innovation with a banner or a Heskinert mobile site. So this assumes that the judging is of a level that can make that distinction. Yes, it will be ballot and myself. Okay, okay yeah. good. All right. And, <laughs> it's been sorted. Okay. and if you'd like to join that party, I think it's going to so, be... So I just want second. to judge so anti-awards. I'm going to enter an award show 
where there is a possibility of being publicly shamed on stage and you two are the judges. <laughs> yes. I'm not entering that award show. <laughs> then mission accomplished. <laughs> you know what? You know what's one? Uh, I think there's one act- there's really one big barrier for all companies to cross. Uh, if, if we're going to base this um, awards on like metrics or success or whatever, I really think... You'd have to measure them. No, no well... <laughs> I think people will struggle to beat our friends at Go Metro, right? I mean, mm. every bloody award show they win, uh, like now on design, but also like they actually, the one of the few the few guys who are getting um, sort of consumer main markets uh, uh, technology. We stuff actually have right. to have those guys on the show. I'm a big fan of them. what they're doing. Mm. They're actually focusing on it's what what Pete was saying last week. Yeah, yeah. So they're focusing on like a real thing. And they're solving it without being patronizing or anything. But it's actually solving real problems and they're doing it fucking well. It's not about flashy tech or cool sites. It's like USSD, man. There's nothing sexy about that. Oh, exactly. But it's freaking awesome. But to be fair, I think the the bookmarks that just just passed, there were quite a few entries that were awarded for that kind of of work. Yes, that's true. Like really... Like man, it wasn't the sexiest work in the world, but, but it was it was solid. It worked. It was clever. It was yeah. like a like a really clever approach, even though it wasn't using like web sockets or whatever, like the flavor of the day is, or something that tweets when you go near it, or a badger. Like, a, it's always uh, a badger, right? Like Not I always see, a badger. Like, it's often a badger. Yeah, if like I think one of the most, but you definitely agree on this. I think Alan. Is one of the most overused uh, concepts touted by, um, uh, let's say, businessy non-tech folks in South Africa is location-based advertising. Like we've seen that uh, that bad boy <laughs> spring its head. What you talking everywhere. about? Alan's entered that <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> Can honestly say no. <laughs> Like what? What was the obsession with it, and why did people get so excited about it? And like, clearly, I mean, it's it's never been a thing. It's never gonna be a thing, probably. Um, like, what are your don't tell Foursquare? Yeah, well, yeah. no, don't tell. Well, I mean, I suppose it, it's the shiny new toy, right? It came out. What was that? What was that app that I think Vincent built? Hey, it was the grid. The grid, yeah. So yeah. that was, I think, one of the first kind of iterations of like the Foursquare type approach, yeah. like mobile based thing. There was um, the crowd from Infectious Agent. I don't remember them from back in the day. They did a lot of work with uh, Mixit. They were talking about, like, we were... <laughs> remember chatting- Mixit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just a quick moment of silence there. Wasn't Infectious Agent Paul Stemmett and his gang, and then they became, they became part of Mixit? I can't remember, but in any case... No, just no, no, continue. I can't remember. It was Mike Carter and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the other chap's name. Um, but it, but that, when we were chatting to them about something that they were, they were calling like sticky shadows, which was like your phone when you moved into a certain like range of a tower, we could then push a notification to you via SMS because we knew from triangulating you from base on towers that you were in a specific area. But it's it's no it's different. Like, I mean, it's still going on. It's now just called iBeacon, right? Yeah, yeah and it's done much, on Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So I mean, it's like it's the classic like shiny new toy certain thing that's like hey look there's this cool thing we can do and let's let's do it because it's speeds and speeds innovative and you know we can target people who are standing outside the door of your business and you know qualified leads and all of that sort of stuff but the I mean, reality is that you're going to get so few people like how many people are going to walk past a mcdonald's and actually you know have the app open and so this, this is kind of comes back to exactly what we're talking about with the kind of go metros and whatever is that there seems to be a very big disconnect between things that are cool and things that work. 
Yeah. And I often feel that these kind of award ceremonies on a kind of more serious note actually fall into the first category, which is like, things I mean, it, cool. it, does, it does look like look, that's starting to change. you want things to, to be cool, this. right? Yeah. So like, you know, how many years ago, what, what, four years ago when we started messing around with like Internet of Things type, type mm. ideas, you know, like physical objects that you could either control from the web or would push back to the web or whatever. Then there was like, okay, there might be a, in an installation, there's like a reason for to do it. And yes. it's, it's cool and gimmicky and people hang around and talk about it and you'll, you know, I Look, I, I'm a bit believe there's Word always a mouth, space for like gimmicky. Gimmicky isn't a bad thing, especially when it comes to marketing, right? Like if it's a PR campaign, I think there's nothing wrong with opting to go for a much smaller group of people with something more gimmicky versus like something that works on a large scale. But if you're, I'm if just not PR sure that are you get from the thing you did is your marketing campaign. Yeah. Then maybe like, I don't know. No, I, don't. No, I think the, the gimmick there needs to speak to some a broader strategic value or goal that you want to achieve. Like if you want to show how easy it is to order at KFC now, but you give some people a gadget uh, just to highlight how the process has become like a easier. button you can push that, or, that yeah, uh, orders I was, more um, I was literally about to use that example <laughs> I just was just taking a sip of my I beer and I washing powder I'll thank push you, this Amazon. button thank you Amazon <laughs> yeah. who, who, uh, who tweeted, show notes who, who tweeted today somebody tweeted it might have been Rian a photo of one that said um, uh, it was one of the Amazon. It's called Dash buttons or something. Well, the oh, question is, was it an animated GIF? It was not an animated. Then, GIF. then Rian did not tweet it. <laughs> Very possibly. That's actually a great question. Um, and it was a Amazon Dash button, but it was for. It said medium on it, and it was for a long think piece. <laughs> <laughs> Which I particularly enjoyed. I'll throw it in the show notes if I can find it again. <laughs> nice. Okay, so we kind of... Well, we, sorry, I yes. have to interject there. Okay, I'm re- When is Faden bringing out a coffee button <laughs> when my coffee is run out? So you can get more Esmeralda. We're not talking about your coffee addiction. Okay, yeah. let's go to the next topic. Just quickly, Stephen is now spending how much on a bag of coffee? 350 rand? Something like that. Per bag of coffee, because he's that much addicted. It's, in an Aeropress. I'm totally... No, just, <laughs> just fucking don't. It's going to keep quiet. Can't. Just can't. Oh, it's great knowing that that is your trigger word, Aeropress. Nespresso is the best, according to Alan. It is. It's totally the best. I can stumble up to the machine, push a button, and 30 seconds later, I have a cup of coffee. Like, I, what am I going to do? Balance, are you not going to rise to that? inverted thing that I've got to wait 10 minutes and then push it out, and then it comes all... No. Balance changed. He would, have, he would have jumped on that opportunity. No, I can go to... If I want a, like, a really nice cup of coffee, I can go to one of these... Any shops I can go and to then, Wimpy. And no, I can go to any shop here, kind of Cape Quarter, and I can find some chap with a scraggly beard, and he can make me a cup of coffee. And I must say, like, I think the, the good cup of coffee is much harder to get than, than people think. I think my, uh, most places actually fuck it up royally. No, but uh, uh, remember, he's my, right, though. His, his immediate area is like origin, truth. Okay, cool. Like they, the they worst you okay. It is. No, I'm just. No, carry on. I'm no, just your, say your work area. No, no, you're fair enough. I you live just... in Nurdok where they, they haven't heard of coffee I think yet. They just farm it out there. Coffee coffee there. Coffee there. It's <laughs> Rick Coffee. Jesus. <laughs> no, but it's Rick, like a local farmer, <laughs> taking cow pats and brewing coffee from it. We should. You know what? You actually Ducks need to find someone called Rick and open up a coffee shop. And then you could get Rick Coffee. That would be awesome. That is such a great idea. If Do we know someone called Rick? Because we can get someone to... My name is close enough, I Rick think. Yeah. Do we know the ones who called Rick? He's sitting right here. 
why don't you make up a cup bag of beans, ma- yeah, roast them in your oven or some shit like that, and send it over to Rian? You know, I'm going to coffee. He'll, he'll love it, actually. He will enjoy that. He can put it through his weird, what is that? Kimmich. 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 Oh, my God. Does he have what would be called? I, and I don't know if he's thought of this yet. So if he's listening, he's, what are the odds he's listening? No, he definitely no, listens. He knows so. that he comes up in every right. show. Fantastic. What if we could mount a Chemex in some weird way on a turntable so that it's, <laughs> the, the water went around in a spiral through the coffee? Jesus. Hey? He's a genius. <laughs> no, that but would he be really pretty is epic. A, do you know how big that would be in combining, combining vinyl and coffee, I think, is what's known as hipster nirvana. No, because that's Portland. Think about that's it, where he lives. It's Portland. Yeah. If you change the, the, the vinyl, like it would affect the taste of the coffee. Because so of the vibrations, like a, right? Some sort of jazz cuck or whatever, or if you put on like some classical or some death metal, would you get different... Do you know, I, think, I think we need to look I into I think this. he's the person to investigate. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, how do we get Screw into recast coffee? app. Get on this no, one. Wait, <laughs> how, do, how do we get into coffee? I was going to segue into something else, and then you started speaking about your bag of coffee, and we're now gone. No, I was just, I, I, I was just begging Faden to bring out subscription coffee. That's right. That's one of the things we've been asking oh, that, for. This, I remember what I was talking about. We were talking about all the awards that you're entering, but not what you're currently doing. So you, I don't, yeah. the, sh- the shift from advertising to being in the media space is quite a hectic one. You mentioned earlier that you, the reason for making that was just that you wanted to be, I don't know, more involved in like a longer term product level rather than just like churning stuff out, which I totally get. But is there something in particular about the media or the radio space that attracted you or not really? Well, look, I mean, look, when you... When you Working in, in an agency, you you kind of quite promiscuous in terms of that all things. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. There's certain a certain subset where that would be true, but like when you're working when you clients different clients different yeah. kind of areas like you, you always you know jumping from finance into you know like washing powder into like beer exactly. Uh, so you've worked a across a, a, a wide range of things, and and you kind of. You have to understand the client. You have to understand their market. All of that sort of stuff. So, you know, moving into media is just gives you opportunity to kind of specialize and focus in on one of those things, yeah. as opposed to firstly specialize and like kind of focusing on one kind of area of work. But then also being in the client side or like working on the product specifically for a longer period of time and being involved at that level, where you understand the sort of the long-term roadmap of the business because in the work that you do the products that you develop the kind of prototypes ideas whatever are in line with that roadmap as opposed to agency where you go oh you guys do like uh, you know product x here's a cool proactive idea around product x which is nine times out of ten so far off the the sort of big picture roadmap of the business that you go that's pretty cool thanks but but no thanks then it doesn't get it doesn't get built yeah, so, I mean, so is there a reason that I, I imagine that over your years you were at, in advertising and in a good position in advertising, heading up Saatchi at play for a number of years? Yeah. I imagine that you got plenty of job offers along the way to come to a client side. Well, I didn't really entertain it, to be honest. Yeah, but so, I, I mean, that's a lot what of I mean. Was like kind of hit me up and wanted to have like coffee and chats and whatever. But to be quite honest, I was really happy like yeah. for a long time. So. The reason that you moved to the client side, was it because it just felt like the time was right? Is it because you wanted well, something new? Well, I saw new, the opportunity because... to work with you, and I thought, <laughs> well, you know, I've got to take this while it's here. No, it was, it was a, a combination of things. Obviously, working quite closely with 
yourself, yeah. the people that you know that were there that well, are still there, um, was I mean it was like a, re- a really nice like working relationship. We actually enjoyed it. It was one of those clients that you actually make time to go to rather than yeah. you know like try and avoid on the phone. But also, I mean earlier I'd, I'd spoken about the kind of ideal size for at play being around like kind of eight to 10. Mm. And there's a lot of like internal pressure to go like, we got to build, we're going to expand, we're going to map Joburg and it's going to be like, you know, all over the place. And it wasn't really the kind of team that I wanted to be involved with. I wasn't really like looking to build like a sort of like a super agency group, you know, like a native of 80 people or yeah, whatever, digital. like one, of, you know, like that sort of thing. Cause you, then you lose touch with the people that, and you know what it's like, you know. So yeah. just a quick question on that. Can you share maybe who's the smartest person you've ever worked with or for? Besides me, I think. Otherwise, it's just an easy question. I have no idea. I will, off, the, off the bat, it's a difficult one. You should probably say somebody that you currently worked with. It's going to be quite offensive to <laughs> please, don't say, please don't say Terry. Please. No, don't. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, I have to think. I mean, I've been working for... 20 odd years you know you go through a lot of people i mean probably the one that that was the most formative was my first boss at uct like, mm. uh, and just from like his approach he was also very much like hands-on kind of guy like get shit done yeah like quite a practical joker um so we had a lot of fun at work it wasn't like you know, you came to work thinking, oh, shit, you know, now I've got to do all this. So you, you came to work knowing that you'd enjoy yourself. You'd, you know, and even if the work was cuck and you had, like, yeah. you know, stuff that you would have fun doing it. Yeah. And just kind of his approach to, you know, that was, I'm not going to say, I mean, he was a smart guy, but not, like, in terms of, like, super intelligent. And I've always, like, you know, always thought back to him and the kind of, you know, I suppose it's your first job, right? So it is going to be kind of formative in, in the way that you think and the way that I you... I suppose so, but I, I, I do yeah. think that different people have different influences as well. I mean, not everybody's first job is formative. Oh, fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. <laughs> I think there are plenty of people who just hate their first job and do it for a couple of years and then... Yeah, leave. and I think everywhere you go, you're going to have... I know this is sitting on the fence, you know, like, oh, like everyone's cool. But everywhere you go, you're going to work with interesting and cool people for different reasons. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they don't know, you would hope, be slightly different to the previous ones and so you'll learn something from them just because they're different people, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think most businesses, you would have, like, super intelligent, super smart people who, like, kind of get it. But I find, like, people that, it's their more the approach that someone has rather yeah. than, like, what they can do that makes them appealing as a boss or a colleague or whatever. So getting into what you're currently doing, I mean, we had Jeff Cohn on the cost. show uh, when, uh, a while back. You know, they're in a very different position. I feel like they're later on in the cycle in terms of, you know, like media playing in the digital space. Prime Media's only been doing it for, you know, well, I suppose since I was there. So Four years. Five, five years five max years, yeah. is kind of when we first picked everything off. So um, not as big despite catching up pretty quickly, but it's it's still in a very kind of different space. And also just focusing on different things. The team that you have is currently, what, five people in total, including, like, the dev team that worked no, closely the with dev, you? I mean, I have to count now, so I'm just thinking... Approximately. Or, it's not more probably, than ten. It's about ten, yeah. It's yeah. around there, but it's split. It's only two teams. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a super small it's team, like four, and, you know, you guys are... You have to think... You have to act in a different way, you know. 24.com sort of goes with a huge chunk of cash and whatever into new endeavors. And digital in Prime Media has always been kind of secondary. You're a small team that are 
coming back to like when you were first at play, it, it mm. feels like it's kind of a little scrappy team that have to churn out stuff. Well, it, I mean, it, it's exactly it. I mean, if you look at the day, I mean, we've got six developers and the number of products that they're supporting and yeah. building, it's like, it's massive. I mean, you know, we don't have, you know, a dev team of like 10 that are working on, on a single product. Yeah, it's like so, one. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's like one dev, one product type of thing, yeah. and they do like a really cool job. And so the work and the stuff that we do has to be like outside of the sort of norm iteration, you know, maintenance, all of that sort of stuff. It has to be kind of scrappy because yeah. we can't go, oh, look, we want to build, you know, a product for, I don't know, like use elections as an example because, yeah. you know, we did something for elections but built it kind of skunkworksy on the side, one person working, doing stuff when they could, mm. taking time out. So, you know, you have to choose your battles there. You know, you can't go, hey, we're going to take six people and build a kick-ass product like News 24 did with their elections, yeah. like Portal and App and all the rest of it. Well done, so, Catherine. No, 100%. I mean, yeah, it's a and, great, great yeah, product. Yeah. Completely. And I see they kicked ass now in the Nigeria elections as well. Yeah. But I, I mean, I suppose what I'm saying is that you guys are, you're a very different companies and yet you're competing with these big guys. But in, in equal way, I think that 24 and Jeff are in a different position in the sense that they're from like a print background, right? Media 24 is ultimately a print company that is dying very quickly. So, well, no, I mean, print is dying. It's just, it's a fact. And so they kind of have to divert a lot of, very quickly, a lot of resources towards investing in digital and building that up before print goes away entirely. They know that that is just the case. Radio is slightly different. It's definitely declining and a bit more every year, but it's, it's not in the same kind of free fall position. Do you think that what you're doing with like your small scrappy team, 10 people working on interesting new ideas and helping iterate, do you think that that's enough or do you think that you guys should be focusing on, on it in the same way as 24 is? The, 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 the nice part about being the, like a kind of a scrappy smaller team is that you can do things that are very focused in, and like test them out. So like the load shedding thing that we built in end of November, like yeah. beginning of December was like, again, one guy going, we can make the load shedding schedule less shit hmm. and we can get it out there in like, and I think that, I mean, that was like three or four days work and got it up there and did really well over December, January. And like, because we're based in Joburg and Cape Town, we could focus in on first Cape Town and then Joburg, and we mm. only had to worry about that. We didn't have to go, we're a national organization, even though it's a kind of website and we would hope to have a national footprint with it. Our radio stations are based in Joburg and Cape Town, so that's where our biggest audiences live. So we're able to focus in on things that are relevant for those audiences and then spit them out or like push them out via the radio stations, which mm. are you know a couple of million listeners. Whatever. Yeah, it, it helps. Yeah. It, and it helps, right? Yeah. So you're able to you don't need a big team in order to do those kinds so of things so do you things. think in that's fact, an you advantage don't want well i don't know you know, to go and say like let's put a team of like 60 developers together and build this massive all and like journalists because obviously you've got to generate yeah. all of the content and then go like head to head with the news 24 i think you're gonna you're gonna see your ass quite quickly quite frankly mm. because they are massive and they you know if you speak to anybody and like they, when they're talking about the news, the default is News 24. So mm. to go head to head, you know, you either got to have super deep pockets, massive balls, and hope that hope to hell that you don't screw it up along the way. Yeah. So, 
like, and obviously, there's a lower appetite for risk. I mean, just Prime Media is a fraction of the size of a company like Nuspass that can just give more money if it all fucks out, right? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. and I'm you know not saying that that's that just throwing like bunches and bunches of cash at it. No, no, no. But they've been around for a lot longer, far more well-established. No, but what I mean is that if it all did go to shit tomorrow, it's not the end of the world where it probably would well, be kind of would because I'd be like wandering around the street <laughs> looking for a job. <laughs> so let's no, not sorry, entertain I'm, that right I'm, now. I mean for them. I just mean that for them, the, the appetite for risk is higher because the downside of everything fucking out is smaller, whereas for you it would be pretty significant. And I mean you as in prime media. No, and I don't think, that's, I don't think that is the right approach. I mean, yeah. you want to... You want to build consistently hmm. and, you know, not slowly, but you want... You want to you take want the startup approach, right? You, you, want, want, to, you want to build yeah. something that works and then stay Because, I mean, the you faster you grow, the quicker you could lose, I guess, you yeah. know, because you're just getting a whole, like, shitload of people coming in and if you've, you know, like, growth hacked them or whatever, yeah. you know, like, what are, what are the chances they're going to be loyal? But you work slower, you know, kind of slow burn, you get people in, they become loyal, you slowly, mm. you slowly work it up. So, and then you also get to, I mean, you get to build a team better as well. I mean, like, yeah. there's nothing worse than having a big team of people that you don't know or can't rely on or, you know, aren't part of the culture and all of that kind of stuff. So, so on, the one, on the one hand, you're competing with some products like EWN in a pretty wide open competitive space. You're going up against, you know, News24 is obviously the biggest, but then you've got, you know, Mail and Guardian, mm-hmm. IOL, you've got lots of people that you're fighting in in what is a pretty generic offering in the sense that it's online news. It's local online news. There, there are plenty of competitors and... News it's, commoditized. Yeah, it's pretty hard to differentiate yourself. And it's a, let's put it this way, it's a tough competitive play. But then on the other yeah. hand, EWN is almost the, the afterthought in the sense that first and foremost, you describe Prime Media Broadcasting as a radio company. Yeah, and we, have, and we deliver the news every 30 minutes across four radio stations. Completely. And so EWN was almost a spin-off of, of radio, yeah, right? We have, the, we have the team. We're generating the exactly. stories. We can put them online. So what does the competitive space look like on the other stuff? You know, like how, how much do you have to innovate? And we know that, we know that the online news space it's pretty well determined people have done this route before. It doesn't feel like radio has done that yet. And I say this as somebody who's now working firmly in that space. So like, you know, put that all to one side, but do you feel like there's a whole new wave of stuff that you're going to do on the radio side of things that's different to what you're doing on EWN? Well, it's a different, I suppose it's a different, very different audience, right? You know, like we've got, because we've got talk radio and we've got music radio. So obviously we have two different approaches to both of those. And, you, you know, innovating around, music and listenership and playlists and as you well yeah. know you know you start getting into the legalities of you know yeah, it's fun paying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> paying royalties and what you and what you play so if you're going to go into a, a sort of a pure digital music space you you've got to be pretty sure that you can generate the revenues that you can you know like the spotify's and the audios and the pandoras of the world that you you're generating enough revenues that you can pay those royalties. By the yeah. way, none of them are actually making money, right? No, I mean, they're all, well, they're all Did Apple. you see Vincent's new thing launched today? No. Like, literally, like, two hours ago or whatever. Yeah. So they've teamed up with Barney Simon and this IO 
team that they've put out a radio app. So it's only on it's only on on phone. It's on Android and iOS, and it's uh, kind of a rock station. It's a live stream, right? So it's uh, where have well, I seen this? I mean, I haven't uh, listened to. I mean, I haven't downloaded the uh, app yet. I saw it as I was wandering over. But Cliff Central is that a thing? No, but it looks like it's a curated. It's music. It's it's, it's like oh, yeah. Barney. So I don't know if it's live. I don't know if Barney Simon's like. You know, I imagine that uh, at some point. I mean, he can't do it twenty four seven. I'm guessing. <laughs> I imagine that it, it's a a curated it's Barney, playlist. Barney yeah. as a service, basically. Barney as a service. Yeah, nice. yeah. So it's then from what it looks like, it's completely ad free hmm. kind of so subscription. No, from what it looks like, it's free listen. Go well, on. I imagine yeah. that they'll throw ads in at some point. From you know, well, in the future, once they've got some downloads said, or whatever. But okay, so I know this. There's no real segue here, but there's something I also sort of bookmark to ask you. You, you, you said you, you twenty took... years, right, of of working in sort of the IT slash digital space. So you've been exposed to a lot of ideas, right? So like, I hope you are as I. You are a believer that. Ideas are worthless until they are executed. One hundred percent. Yes. So maybe you can share with us some of the, so like, what are the unrealized ideas that you've never managed to to build or execute on? Oh I, I can tell you that like, Alan like, has. Like, no, Richard prompted. He's he's prepped you for this question. I haven't. You're going to rant of mine. No, this, totally. You're going to upset Alan, but but from working with Alan and seeing him pretty regularly, it was I would say once every two months there'd be something that launched and Alan would walk into the office pretty angry <laughs> going, I fucking wrote this down a month ago. <laughs> something really stuck with me after we spoke to Pete last time in that he said that one of the things that that's just not, in, it doesn't exist or, or it kind of exists in small niches in Africa is stuff about the theater of the mind uh, where like you have a, you also like you don't really have theater of the mind uh, as a product in in many countries. You kind of have it in China where uh, like people use WeChat quite differently than we do, and and the rest mm. of the world does. And you and you kind of have that in the way that Nigerians use Facebook, and where they create more aspirational profiles. And then online, you become this person that you're not at the moment. At the moment, you're like a street um, hustler. But your profile is a, is a big rap artist with a massive following. You have a shitload of fans because you become this person. MySpace of the 90s. MySpace of the 90s with a real, with a real difference that uh, it gives you a theater online that you'd never have in real life. And I, I think it's totally underexplored. And this made me think, well, shit, there are so many ideas that, that are floating around that people just haven't necessarily executed on. I was going to ask you to share some of yours. So I've got three examples I can give you that range from ridiculous to, well, they're all very ridiculous, but because they, they make me angry to, to think about them. But um, the first one was a pitch many, many, many years ago for a USB device that you plugged into your car and it monitored things like braking and acceleration. This was 2000, this was kind of early 2000, wow. somewhere around there, mid 2000s. Is this a Yes, it was. Yeah. You know, I was just trying to think whether you can drop the name, but and it I was an edit that out if you upset huh? about it. I can edit that out. No, whatever. We'll say Porsche. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then and that never got anywhere. And uh, literally a year later, Fiat won a a gold <gasps> con for Fiat 
EcoDrive, which they brought out in, I think, 2006, 2007. Which, as you rightly say about it, then later became, became automatic. Became like automatic, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. that kind of third-party drive. So, and I mean, that was, I mean, so when I was at Saatchi for many years, the creative director that I worked with was Alan Cronier, and like, he was, if he's listening to this, you know, he's I probably... Doubt it. But, but I like beating him. himself yeah. right now yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> so then the other one was we had an internal thing, and this was I was part of this. It wasn't like my idea. And all of these, I mean, it's an agency, you know. So you work as a team, and you brainstorm, and you yeah. throw ideas yeah. around. So I'm just talking about like ideas we came up with or whatever. Was it was we had an internal thing in Saatchi. It was like a, a sort of an idea around. Uh, you know, come up with an, an a world-changing idea within the network kind of kind of thing, and we came up with a, a concept of creating a pictographic language that could cross borders. So we could use it at the time. It was, I think, yeah, it was a kind of at the time. I guess it always is, but it was a kind of a Middle East. That's where we were pitching it at, kind of a Middle East, so that people with different languages and different kind of backgrounds could share messages with one another in a kind of a fun way. And then some so, doers comes out with emoji. Yeah, so that's emoji <laughs> that we described back oh then. That God. was pretty cool. We didn't get to do that either. Um, and then like a really kind of a, like a, <laughs> it was quite a small small one, but it was, we, we came up with this concept actually for the UC Graduate School of Business, and it was um, to go, like, <laughs> I remember this <laughs> it, The idea was like giving you a tool, a little bit like a stumble upon type bar, where yeah. you could shut up. Jesus. <laughs> You're taking such pleasure out of this. I really am because I'm not. I'm like at the edge of my seat. I can't wait for this. So it's just worth saying that I remember seeing Alan the day that this launched. So it came out, yeah. So it was like a, I mean, at the time when we, when we pitched it, it was a web-based thing. So it was like a stumble upon like bar and you could use it to create like a journey of pages that you would go through. So you would create a theme or like a, like a like a learning it was supposed to be like a learning environment so like learn about the internet and it was it would, like lecture material and stuff or like yeah so then you would yeah. put in like you know the kind of history of tcp and like you know early browsers and then you would kind of create this list of them yeah. and then using the bookmark you'd work your way through this like kind of syllabus that someone had curated for you yeah and then some bastards built an app that does exactly that so there goes that one as well so i wanted to ask you about this sort of tailing on what what Stephen was saying is that for me I'm in the very frustrating but equally kind of okay position that if I don't act on any of these ideas it's kind of just up to me right like yeah, yeah, you know, if I so. have the best idea of my life tomorrow and don't go and build it or whatever it's it's kind of just up to me and the Firstly, I'm the only one that decides yeah. whether to do it or not. So kind of all blame on me, but then also all opportunity to me as well. Both when you're working in the agency and now, I imagine that every day, well, I mean, I know from working with you, you've got great ideas to go and do something which may or may not end up great. But the point is that you're not always in the one you're not always the one that can make that call and go, well, let's just do it because it, it's good. Well, that's the difference now, right? When I was an agency, you, you, you come up with an idea. So generally what happens is you tend to post-rationalize the idea back to a client <laughs> yeah. rather yeah. than working off a client idea. A lot of the proactive ones are like that. So um, you would come up with an idea and then you go, this is a really cool, works for Peugeot, whoever it might be, and then you go and pitch the idea. And then it's up to the client to go, let's take this to France and pitch it to them or whatever the case may be. 
So you're not in control of whether the idea actually gets made or not. Now, I am in control to a certain extent of whether it gets made or not because we operate at a kind of a skunkworks level. So if we have yeah. an idea that we go, this is cool, we think this can work. You can at least try we, and prototype we it. We prototype it, yeah. you know, like, and use it as a, like a learning opportunity to go like, you know, I mean, that's how I got into Rails was like, yeah. I wanted to learn Rails, came up with an idea of something and built it in Rails and like yeah. learned it as we went along. So you kind of use it as a way of, you know, messing around with new tech as well as prototyping something so that you're not going with like a pitch deck and going like, look at what this thing could be. You can give someone a working version of something and go play with this and tell me what you, let me know what you think. So you talk about prototyping ideas kind of before we start wrapping up is that when we spoke to Jeff, I sort of asked him this question as well and he dodged it very skillfully because he's Jeff. Um, you know, a certain percentage of work is stuff that's just iterative right it's just yeah. it's stuff that is just you've got to do it you know building a Make slightly better. better version of ewn or kfm.coza or whatever right or make podcasts slightly better or how much of your focus do you put into that stuff which is probably very important for maintaining for beating competition for all that kind of stuff in short term and how much especially when you've got a small team do you put into taking the crazy leap forward the kind of new idea that is current. Should you be working on that kind of stuff and, and how do you divide up that time? Well, I'm in the fortunate position that I am a reform developer. Yeah. Ex-developer. As <laughs> you wish you were an ex-developer. Ex-developer. You still Whatever. code every day. Yeah, but I probably... I don't code to a production level. Yes, and okay, I, fair I'm enough. I'm very proud of that and I don't want <laughs> to be... DevOps. Co- <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be coding to a production level because I get... You know, but... But the reality is that it's probably about an 80-20 split. Okay. Um, and the, the, the nice part about it is that the, I can realize the prototype myself without having to go and explain it to somebody. Hmm. So, like, the, the, and I mean, like, without, you know, making, you know, oh, Richard. The cool thing about working with you is that you worked in the same way and got it. Yeah. So we could bounce an idea and then you'd just go away and make something, make something work. Yeah. Which was cool. So, um, like being able to realize those ideas makes it, you know, you can sit at home and muck around or, you know, in the evenings or whatever. And then from the prototype, it becomes part of the 80, you know, like it kind of feeds into the system. And a lot of the, a lot of the work we were doing when you left around CMS builds and mm. stuff like that came out of the 20% prototyping of what, envisioning what a new way of storing data could look like. Yeah. And then just became a project off the pro- back of the prototype and went, let's now actually make this happen. So this is typical disruption theory, but kind of getting into the reason that I'm no longer working with Alan, I suppose, is that I kind of believe that couldn't most... Couldn't take it any longer. I, I couldn't take it any longer, <laughs> but I believe that kind of most disruptive and innovative ideas generally come from outside of a business rather than inside a business. And I don't know, and I'm not making that specifically about Primedia or anything. I said the same thing to Jeff about 24.com. Do you think that you guys can innovate in a way that, you know, eventually radio is going to die in its current form? I think we can kind of say that. It's going to eventually follow the lines of print, and it's, it's definitely not there yet. But at some stage, it's going to take a dive, and it will, it will follow that. Do you think that what you're doing now is kind of on the right path in making that leap? Or do you think that, you know it's going to kind of fade out in the same way as it's happened to print. Uh, just clarify, are you talking about the kind of innovation approach that yeah, we're just, taking? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, what are you doing to 
to kind of guard against that because generally what happens it's kind of typical disruption theory is that the incumbent never manages to keep up yeah. because the incentive is to just keep working on the 80% and then somebody comes along with the 100% focusing on disruption and innovation and kills you. Do you think what you're doing now is enough and, and how do you make sure that that 20% translates in enough to keep you kind of innovative and disruptive? So I think that we've got I suppose it's going to be another middle of the road like sitting on the fence type but we, I mean, as you know, we are very aware of innovators' dilemma type theory and, yeah. and, and are constantly in our, you know, with the people that, that are involved in the kind of innovation space are always using that language and identifying when we're just falling back into the, yeah. the sort of like... Protecting the, the incumbent. Protecting the incumbent type stuff. Um, that being said, it, when you're in the business, in the like, day-to-day of it, it is very difficult to not pull yourself out and look at it as a completely like an external view because you are, again, you're protecting the business. So you have mm. to look at it from that perspective. So the, kind of the two things that I guess that we do is that tend to hire differently. And I mean, you would, I mean, I came out of agency background. We've got quite a few people who come directly out of agency background mm. into the business who bring with them probably a year's worth of ridiculous thinking that yeah. we can then make sure that we don't kind of push them aside and not listen to them and go, okay, you, you know, you're thinking comp- as an outsider still before you get sucked into the, I understand the business and I understand where the business needs to go and you kind of still having those ideas. And then we work quite a lot with external partners who, who are product focused. So we, you know, we have a couple of companies that we work with that, I mean, you know as well. Yeah. That if you want to punt them, oh, definitely, we can give a shout out guys to at Next, Next oh, and, the guys at, and Swipe, <laughs> and who are external to the business, and so have that separation that they are coming to us with ideas that are off the roadmap. That traditionally you would go when earlier when we were speaking about pitching proactive ideas that are not on the company roadmap, and you know yeah. clients would go, they're doing that no, for you. They're coming with those ideas, um, and it's important for us to go to understand that it might be off our roadmap, but it might be the roadmap in five years' time. So yeah. you have to you know, realize or recognize that and maybe do something about it. So, so what, do you have any ideas of what you think that, that five-year... Like if you were to jump forward <laughs> five years, do you know Six months from now, it would be a difficult question. Do you think that it looks pretty much the same or do you think it's changed completely? Well, I mean, fuck, last five years, everything's changed, right? Yeah. Like, we didn't have Facebook seven years, six years ago. But at the same time, like, your primary business radio hasn't changed much in five years. It's still pretty much the same format. Just Yeah. Do you think that's changed in five years' time? I think, well, from a a content perspective, what's really interesting is the pushes that Facebook are doing right now around, like, hosting of content, like, making, getting news companies yeah. to put their content into Facebook. I've actually, um, I've, I've actually listened to a podcast about this today. It's what's known as the Lando Carlisian problem, where Lando made a deal in Star Wars with Darth Vader and saying, hey, can I please have, can I please have Leia and then I'll... Can I'll I just quickly interrupt just to say that Ballot is so excited because he's downloaded all the original... Despecialized version. Despecialized version. And he's on one end of the table. And then on the other end of the table, we've got Alan, who has never watched Star Wars. I've yeah. watched half of one. So, shit. so the, beauty of, the beauty of Lando is that he made a deal with Vader and saying, hey, 
I, you, yeah, you're going to have my ship, or, or, but can I have it back if I bring you the, the rebels? And then Vader said, yeah, of course. And when they arrived, Vader just changed the terms of the deal. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, like I, you, you say, okay, cool, yeah, Facebook, yeah, here's my content. Uh, you can yeah, ask yeah. it, yeah, for all of the good reasons that you measured. And then Facebook goes, oh, yeah, about, about that, that you own the content. Exactly. <laughs> I was reading an article uh, two, three weeks ago, and they were talking about the new Discover, Snapchat's Discover thing. Yeah. And talking about, and the phrase yeah. they used was it's a force and promise yeah, is that yeah. you're getting in like you it seems like a fantastic deal that they're hosting all of my content and it's great and I you know have to worry about servers and all that sort of crap but the reality is that they that, that bec- their roadmap becomes your roadmap negotiations 101 is if you start at a position of weakness you can never ever end up with a good end result yeah. so you have to start off as peers or in a better situation to end up in an even better situation so then so ultimately are you competing with Facebook yeah, no, come on, Jesus. No, but I mean, no, but I mean, if it becomes a content player, like, which is essentially think, what well, you're I saying. Think what's is, I be think interesting. everyone is competing with Facebook in a way. The question is just how will Facebook, will Facebook ever vertically integrate? Or will they just go and say, listen, we are offering basically every service in, on the internet uh, cu- uh, coupled with identity. So will they, will they pivot and make news their main feature? Fuck, will they make commerce their main feature? I mean, mm. there's yeah, so yeah. many questions. To say I, I mean, like, they've been like, doing yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, they've exactly. been slowly rolling it out. I mean, they started with identity. They moved into commenting. Yeah. Locations. Like, all of that sort of stuff. Then they went into, they started like, saying, hey, guys, load your videos here. Yeah. Now they're talking about like hosting news items. And it was about two, three days ago where they just launched the embed codes for Facebook video. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now you can embed officially your, app, your video from Facebook into your web page. So they're becoming yeah. like a bit of a YouTube web. Yeah. There. So like so you don't know, like you go, shit, you want to have all of our content, but they're gonna be monetized like video mm. monetizing video at some well, point. It's the same with YouTube. What does yeah. that look like? You have no idea but at this that's point. Part so of the, that's part of the offer, because they can say, Hey, you know what? Uh, you're not generating real advertising revenue off of your stuff at the moment, so we kind of nailed that. So if you want that, um, come speak to us, we can do a nice little rev share. Yeah. And and then you're like Oh, wow, money. I'd love those. <laughs> I'll go for monies. Yeah, yeah I'm like that. You were, st- you were busy talking about Facebook, and then Ballot interrupted you and started talking about Land Star Wars. Well, that's what, I mean, that was the, the discussion. Did he just finish your thoughts? No, we were talking about how they wanting to like, host the content yeah. in Facebook rather than drive the traffic externally. So how does that apply to you? Well, at this point, you're going, it's a look and see kind of process. You're going yeah. like, it's, it just launched it and you're going, well, if they're going to want to be hosting the content, what does that mean for us? Hmm. You know, like you, you asked the question, what does five years down the line look like? And, you know, if you'd asked the same question six months ago before Facebook yeah. did their whole push for content in Facebook, it would look very different. It would look very different. Now they come, you go like, look at the BuzzFeed model where they, you know, I think it's BuzzFeed where in every interview he's saying he doesn't give a shit where his content lives yeah. as long as people are consuming his content. So, you know, if that model works for them, like what does that model actually look like? So is the trick not to try and plan five years ahead but just be ready for changing every six months? Are you gonna, who's going to say agile first? No, oh, God. no say, we're all anti-agile say, in here, right? No, who's going to just say Darwin first? The most adaptable will survive. That's, That's not a Darwin quote I discovered the other day. Yeah, no, no, no. I think one of the quotes... I watched that same no, QI no, no. episode, Alan. The worst... Really? Was it on QI? It definitely was on QI. No, the worst one is an the most... The, <laughs> a legit real article. Yeah, fucking real article. No way. No, <laughs> I was doing the research. Biggest, no, the biggest fallacy is that survival of the fittest is not the quote. Like, people are saying, oh, it's survival of the fittest. No, it's not. It's like 
Those who are the most adaptable to change or Yeah, that's are, the quote they're saying is not Darwin. What? Yeah. Unreal. Let's let's Google this shit. Live. I was I wanted to use it in a presentation the other day and I thought, let me actually just make sure that this is a Darwin quote and yeah. it wasn't. Wow, epic. I know. That feels like a great place to end the show. Genuinely. Yeah, cool, great. Yeah. On that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell, time to end. Seen as oh, Clarkson can't say it anymore. <laughs> and on that bombshell. I wonder what that fucker's gonna do, hey? Eh?